you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Galatians. We're going to be looking at chapter 3 this morning in the book of Galatians, verses 15 through 26. It's found on page 973 in your pew Bible, uh, which is in front of you as well. We are jumping back into the book of Galatians this week, and I want to remind you um, of something Martin said when he preached on the beginning of chapter 3 a few weeks ago, uh, he made that, which I thought was very helpful. He said, Paul's letter to the Galatians is not linear. Okay, He's not making a linear, linear argument uh, from one point to the next, but rather it's very circular. It's more circular in nature, meaning that Paul tends to return to the same themes over and over and over again. And you'll find that this morning. I'm going to read through this passage, and you're going to think, wait a minute. Paul's been talking about this for a long time, or he's coming back to this. Words like law and justification by faith. And the temptation for us, I think, is to say, well, you know, he's kind of talked about this. I got this. I can kind of check out, do my thing this morning, and I really don't have to engage. But I want to remind us of something this morning about what we believe about the Scriptures and about the Bible. Paul is writing the book of Galatians under, we believe, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God's Word that is breathed out for us, and nothing in the Bible is haphazard or accidental or an afterthought. You know, Paul's not thinking, man, I just don't know what else to say to these people. I'm just going to say the same thing again. No. Everything in the scriptures is very intentional. It's there for a very specific reason. And I think that's important when it's all throughout the scriptures. We see a lot of um, the scriptures with the same sorts of themes. And that can only mean one thing. That we need to hear it. That we need to come back to these things because we forget them so easily. And so what we're about to read is very, very important. And God is trying to teach us something. That's why he keeps coming back to things like law and gospel and justification by faith. So with that in mind, follow along with me as I read Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 26. This is God's holy and inspired word. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it and adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And now an intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if law had been given that could change, uh, that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise 
by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit and help us with this passage this morning. We need it. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do need your spirit. I need your spirit. We need your spirit to come and to make this passage clear in our hearts and minds. We need you to take this passage and to apply it to our lives this morning and show us why this is relevant and why this matters to us sitting here this morning in 2018, sitting in a worship service. And so would you make this passage real and applicable to us through your spirit? We would be very thankful. Show us this morning, um, as the law is meant to show us, of our deep need for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have been studying the book of Galatians this spring, and this is not an easy book. Uh, It hasn't been, this is actually my first time to preach through the book of Galatians, and it has not been an easy book to preach. It's not been an easy book to study, and it's getting dense. Chapters 3 and 4 are starting to get pretty thick, and so I think it's important, and if you've been around my preaching A question that I always want us to be asking is, so what? Who cares? Why does this even matter? And if we don't ask that question, particularly now in the book of Galatians, in these chapters, in chapter 3 and 4, did you you feel that as I was reading through it? Chapter 3, if we don't ask that question, then what this becomes is just a nice Bible study on Sunday morning and we get in our cars and we go home And we think, man, I learned a whole lot. And then we come back next Sunday and we don't think it again, think about it again uh, the rest of the week. See, we've got to always be asking the question, what does Galatians have to do with me on Monday morning at 8 a.m. when I get back to the grind of life? What does Galatians have to do with Monday through Saturday? What has everything, I believe? to do with Monday through Saturday. Because here's the question of the book of Galatians, and one question is, what makes a human being or a person righteous? What makes a person righteous? And that is, the Bible says, is an enduring human need for every person in this room. It's why if you're a young person or on social media, a high schooler or a college student, and you post on Instagram... I'm bring this right down to you. You post this on Instagram, and after you post on Instagram, you go and you put your phone away and you don't look at it till the next day. Is that what happens? Not a chance. You post on Instagram and you're glued to that phone. Why are you glued to that phone? Because you want to see how many people have liked your picture. You want to see uh, who's commented on your picture? What are you asking for when you post on Instagram and you're looking over and over and over to see how many people have liked it and who've liked it? You know what you're saying? I need someone to tell me I'm okay. I need someone to tell me that I'm righteous. 
You see, the question of Galatians is where do you get confidence? Where do you get your significance? Do you get it from Instagram and what the world tells you? Where do you get your identity? That's the question of the book of Galatians. And Galatians is laying out for us week after week after week that you are getting your identity and significance in one or two places. Two philosophies of life that Galatians is putting before us. One is a philosophy of life that says you are justified, you justify yourself. Self-justification. Self-justification says this, you are judged by what you do. When you get up tomorrow, you're judged by what you do and who the world says that you are. That's one philosophy. The second philosophy that Galatians is laying out is justification by faith alone in Jesus alone. Which basically comes and says, every day, thank goodness that I don't uh, find my identity in the world. Thank goodness that I'm not judged by what I do. But my confidence is in what Jesus says about me and what he has done for me. Galatians matters for you sitting here on April the 8th, 2018, because this is about your identity. Galatians is about your identity. And that is important because when you leave here this afternoon... You know what happens? The world comes and screams and pushes back at you and says that you are finding your identity. You are to find your identity in what you're doing or what you have done or what you have made of yourself. And if that's where you look for your value and your significance, you know what's going to happen? Pride, anxiety, depression, and exhaustion. That's where that leads. Or you find your righteousness And you're justified by Jesus and what he's done for you. And he's your identity. He is who defines you. Then you know what you find? Peace and rest and confidence. Two philosophies of life. Two ways of living is what Galatians is laying out for us. That's why this matters for Monday morning at 8 a.m. And Paul is continuing in the section we read to pound away and to lay out those two philosophies. And if we don't understand that in a passage like this... We're going to see this as a nice Bible study. We're going to learn a lot of good information, and we're going to get in our cars and go home and come back next week. Paul is pounding away in this chapter that God accepts you purely by grace alone, that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing, and that it's all a gift, and that we've done nothing whatsoever to earn it. But there's a problem now, isn't there? And here's the problem that presents us. I hear you, Jason, but then I open up my Bible and I see a whole lot of laws. I see a whole lot of rules and instructions on how we are to live. And so what in the world am I to do with that? If the gospel really is grace, all grace from beginning to end, what do I do with all the laws? Well, Paul, look at verse 19. He's a good lawyer. He knows that we're thinking that. He knows that we're asking that question. And so he says, why then the law? And so that's the question of this passage this morning. And so that's the question of our message or sermon this morning as well. Why then the law? And Paul talks about two things here that I want us to look at. Two points, if you're a note taker. The limits of the law. And secondly, the purpose of the law. Limits of the law and the purpose of the law. So let's look at number one, the limits of the law. And let me just say this on the front end. This morning going to require us to sit up straight, focus. I do this with my girls all the time, you know. 
Give him one of these. That's kind of what we need this morning in a passage like this and in really the next couple of weeks. Hang with me. This is some heavy lifting. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm praying that God would help make this clear to us and clear to me as I try to communicate it to you this morning. And so let's just start right from the very beginning. And I want to start by reminding you of the context of the passage. Why in the world is Paul talking about the law in the first place? Well, remember, Paul's a church planter. And his philosophy was to travel around and plant churches and tell people about Jesus. And once the, when the church got up and running, he would leave and go somewhere else. That was his missionary strategy. He did that in Galatia. Planted these churches, got them up and running. They were thriving. And then after Paul left... There was this group called the Judaizers, or these false teachers that came in, and they said, I know know that Paul told you that the gospel was Jesus plus nothing. I know that that's what Paul told you, but you need to understand, this is what these false teachers were saying, is that what he said was mostly true, but you need more. You need Jesus plus good behavior. You need to be circumcised. You need to become a Jew And you need to also obey the law. Then you'll be acceptable. Then you'll be found worthy before God. And the whole book of Galatians, if you were to chunk it down, is Paul pushing back against that. That's what he's doing in chapter 3. He's continuing to pound home his argument that what the false teachers, Jesus plus something else, is not the gospel. That the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Now with that, look at what Paul says about the law In verses 15 through 18. And Paul just starts walking through the Bible. And he says, let me start in Genesis with Abraham, which is someone they would have been uh, very familiar with. And he says, think about the promise to Abraham. God came to Abraham and gave him an unconditional gift. Remember the promise God made to Abraham? He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You will inherit the earth. You will become a nation. And through you will be blessing to the entire world. God comes and blindsides Abraham with grace upon grace upon grace. And what did Abraham do to deserve that? Nothing. He didn't earn it. He doesn't deserve it. And the point is this, that the law didn't even exist yet. Okay? For Abraham to obey and earn God's favor through good behavior. And so the big point of Galatians chapter 3 is this, that God fundamentally relates to his people on the basis of promise, not performance. Let me say that again. God fundamentally relates to his people. This is Paul's point. Not through performance, but he's always related to them. All the way back to Genesis, through promise. And he works that out. Look at what he says. 430 years after Abraham, that's when the law shows up. Moses, remember God says, give my people the Ten Commandments. What were the Ten Commandments? They were God's commandments to his people to show them how life worked best. And so then the question became, after the law came, the question became this. Well, so does that mean that God changed his mind? I mean, yeah, you heard this about promise, but now surely that the law is that God's changed his mind. Does this mean that God... has changed how he relates to his people, and he now relates to them by performance and not promise? These are the questions. Does this mean that we're now conditions 
put on God's people so that they are acceptable before a holy God. And Paul's answer, and he's screaming it, every verse of the book of Galatians is absolutely not. And he uses a legal illustration here to prove his point. Look at verse 15 and verse 17. You see the words covenant used. And the word covenant there refers to a last will and testament. So let me give you an example to try to bring this home. Let's suppose that I wrote you into my will. We went to a lawyer tomorrow morning and we got it notarized and everything that you need to do in order to make it official official in a court of law. And the will said this, when Jason Sterling dies, you will inherit his house and his two cars. Done. Well, let's say a couple of years later, I come to you and say, well, you know, I've been doing some thinking. Uh, I'll give you my house and two cars but only if you pay for my kids to go to college. You're under no obligation to listen to that. Because I have no legal right to demand that of you. We had an official signed document and it speaks for itself. It speaks for itself and says that I will give you my car, two cars, and my house, and they have been promised to you. Done. Now think about that and look at verse 15 again and see if it doesn't make more sense. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Then verse 18, for if the inheritance comes by the law, then it no longer comes by promise. But if God in his grace gave it to Abraham by promise, here's what Paul is trying to say. Here's what the law doesn't do. It doesn't change the fact that God accepts you Purely by grace alone. The law doesn't change the fact that God's favor and acceptance has always, always been a gift. Some of you right now are thinking, wow, I'm lost, I'm bored, or I'm snoring. So what? So what? Why is this relevant to me right now, Jason? Well, let me try to answer your question, possibly, with a question back to you, and it's a question that you might be familiar with. It's that famous EE question. Some of you might have been converted to Christianity through EE. It's a question I've asked people, I've heard asked a lot over my time in ministry, and it's that famous question, if you were to die tonight and you were to stand before a holy God and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, how would you answer him? That's pretty relevant. So how would you answer him? Well, here's where the rubber meets the road because you know how lots and lots and lots of people have answered that question and still do. Lots of people who claim to be uh, Christians, they answer that question by saying something like this. Well, you know, I don't know, but I've really tried to be a good person. I've done my best. Yeah, I've made a few mistakes over the years, but I've really tried hard and done my best. That's why God should let me in. You know, there's only one problem with that. That stands against everything that Jesus says he's about in the Bible. The one thing Jesus stands opposed to in the Gospels is Jesus plus I tried my best. That's not the Gospel. And if you think that this morning, then you've missed the whole reason that Jesus came into the world. And then the question becomes, doesn't it? Well... 
if that is true, and I'm being made right with God, not by following the law, but by grace alone, by faith alone, okay, then why does the gospel, or why does the law exist in the first place? I mean, there's got to be a reason why it's here. What's the purpose of the law? Verse 19, Paul's got you. He's got you covered. Why then the law? That's our second point. The purpose of the law. The Bible actually talks about three purposes of the law, and I think this is important to uh, say. Uh, The law, one purpose of the law is it guides us. It shows you how life works best. That's the Ten Commandments. The other purpose of the law is to restrain evil and to add order to the world. And then the third purpose that the law is given is it's a mirror. The law is meant to show us who we really are and point us to Jesus. That's important because Paul's not dealing with all of those uses here. He's dealing with the third use that I mentioned in this passage. Why then the law? He says the law is a mirror for us to show us who we really are so that we might see our need. Look at verse 19. It was added because of transgressions. In other words, it was added to show you your sin and need for forgiveness so that you'll throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus. But it's even more powerful than that, what Paul is saying. Look at 22 through 23. In 23, Paul compares the law to a prison warden. Did you pick up on that? Look at the words he uses. Imprisoned and held captive. He says that the law tells you that you're guilty and that you're condemned and you have zero hope for parole. That's how desperate it is. Let me try to illustrate uh, with this example. Let's say tomorrow morning you wake up and you're wanting to turn over a new leaf. And you say, Jason, I am ready to get um, serious about my faith. And so you turn to the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And you say, I'm just going to take one. One a day. And I'm going to uh, try to work through each of these commandments. And you look through the Ten Commandments. And you say, do not covet. That sounds like an easy place to start. Do not want the things that other people have. And so... That's where you're going to start. And for a 24-hour period, you're saying, I'm going to obey this one commandment. Which means that I'm going to have absolute contentment with everything that I have. Well, we've been going through the Ten Commandments in our service with the New City Catechism. And one thing you learn is they go pretty deep. So the commandment, do not covet, for example, also means that for a 24-hour period, you will not compare yourself to anyone else. You will not boast. It also means you will not have self-pity. You will not have crushing depression or a critical spirit. You will not be jealous or envious at a person in your life that has something that you don't. It also means that you will not need people. You will not need them to like you or need approval from other people. But not only do the commandments have a negative side, we've learned in our confession of sin over the past couple of weeks, they have a positive side. And so this command means on the flip side, on the positive side, that you will also as well be always joyful and excited when your friends get something that you don't have. You'll be excited for them no matter what. All of that and more, we could go on, 24 hours, no coveting in thought, word, and deed. How do you think you would do? Well, I'll tell you how you would do. I'll tell you how I would do. At the end of the day, I would feel like an utter failure. 
friends, we get angry when our cell phone's not working quick enough. We get angry when someone's walking too slow in front of us. And in traffic, people are either a maniac or a moron. Right? They're either a crazy driver or they're a moron because they're not obeying or going fast enough. It's always one or the other. We look in the mirror and we don't like the way we look. And on and on and on. And friends, that is one law for one day. And so what happens when you feel the weight of the entire law for the entirety of your life? What about that? You know what that does? It crushes you. It crushes you. And you might be thinking, well, Jason, wait a minute. That makes the law sound horrible. That makes the law sound really, really negative. Yes, it does. But it's supposed to be that way. And remember, the law is not the problem. Right? The law is good and perfect. Right? What is the law doing? The law is not the problem. You see, the law is trying to show you that you're the problem. That the problem is actually with you. That's what the law is trying to do. To convince you that you need a Savior. It's to smash any delusion that you have that you can earn God's favor on your own goodness and stand on your own two feet before a holy God. See, God gave you the law to show you that you're not good. So that you'll run to Jesus who is good. And you'll cry out for his goodness and righteousness. Think about it this way. Law, uh, Martin uh, hinted at this a few weeks ago. And it's a great illustration of the law. So we'll work it out. The law is like a mirror. Think of it that way. And what is the purpose of a mirror? Mirror on your wall or in your pocket that you pull out? Well, it shows you that you've got food on your face or dirt on your face or your hair's messed up or you've got a piece of lettuce sticking out of your teeth. That's what a mirror does. The purpose of the mirror is not to clean those things for you. It's to show you those things. Look at verse 21. That's why Paul says the law wasn't given to give you life. In other words, the law wasn't given to clean you. When you look into a mirror and you see that your face is dirty, you don't reach and take that mirror off the wall or out of your pocket or whatever and start using it to cleanse your face or get something out of your teeth. No, what is a mirror? It drives you. The purpose of the mirror is to show you those things and then drive you to the soap and water. And the soap and water is what cleans you. And this is common today. Let's say you're in Chipotle. I like Chipotle. Many of you know that. And let's say you're there and you see this a lot. Now with cell phones, people hit reverse on that camera. After lunch, before they go back to the office, and you see people looking at themselves, and they're kind of doing this, and looking at their hair, they're looking at their teeth. You, look, you're smiling because you know you've been there. And, and, but what would you think if someone in that moment, or they're looking in a mirror or their cell phone, if they took that, and they just started rubbing their face with it, or rubbing their teeth, or combing their hair with that cell phone? You know what you would think? You would say, that's nuts, <laughs> They're crazy. They've lost their mind. But oddly enough, and here it is, that's exactly what we do with the law. That's exactly what we do. Let's say uh, that uh, in that moment, 
in your life, when you blow it, when you fail, when you do the thing you thought you'd never do, and you're exposed, whatever that is for you this morning that you brought into this room, whatever that is in your moment, our first thought, and I've met with tons of students over the years, and they're talking about their sin, and Jesus is nowhere near the conversation. You know what the conversation normally includes? The same thing it includes with us. Man, I really should get better. I should get my life together. I, oh man, tomorrow I'm going to start. I'm going to make changes. I really should be reading my Bible more. I should be praying more. I should get involved in a small group. I should get involved in an accountability group. I should get more involved in the church. And listen, you've got to hear me on this. Those things are awesome. I love those things. Those are good things. Things that we need to be doing. But listen, and here's what I want you to see. Think about what happened. The law exposed you as a sinner, which is good because that's what the law is supposed to do. And you start to experientially feel your need for Jesus in that moment, which is good because that's what the law is supposed to do. And then you know what you've done? You've picked up the mirror, your cell phone, and you've started putting it on your face or brushing your teeth with it or combing your hair with it. That's what you've done with the law. Do you see that? Notice all the should language. I should stop doing the bad things and I should start doing the good things. I should start reading my Bible more. I should start praying more. More rules, more laws. And here's the problem with that. That feels completely normal to us. Some of you here this morning are thinking, oh, that, yeah, that's right. That feels completely normal. And some of us don't know any other reaction, but here's the problem with that. And this is what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 3. That's not Christian. That's not the gospel. Paul is saying that makes as much sense as you grabbing the cell phone in Chipotle and brushing your teeth with it. That's how crazy you look. That's what Paul is saying. And so let's keep working this out. So what do we do? Where else do we go? Look at verse 24. So the law was our guardian. That word is the same word for tutor. An elementary school tutor. What does a tutor do? It instructs. So think about that when you think about guarding. The law is our instructor that points us and leads us to Jesus so that we might be justified by faith. The law shows you that you're dirty to push you to the soap and water. And the law is saying the soap and water, the only thing that can clean you is Jesus himself. You see that? The law shows you your sin and leads you to Jesus. So go back to our scenario. There you are. Whatever it is for you this morning, completely exposed by the law. I did it again. I promised I would never do it again. And I did. You know that the law has done its job in your life when you say, I need help. You know the law has done its job in your life when you say, I am done thinking that I can get better. I am done thinking, one more try, I got this. You know the law has done its work when you say, I'm all out. I'm done. I can't get better on my own. That I need someone to rescue me from myself. 
And in that moment, the law takes you by the hands like an elementary school tutor. And it says, come with me. And the law takes you and says, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. And when you go to Jesus and you're a complete wreck and your life is a mess and you're full of guilt and shame, you know what you find in Jesus? Mercy. And grace and love for you. You find the friend of sinners. And it doesn't matter who you are and what you've done or what you've thought and what you said. Jesus, as the hymn says, stands ready to save you and to cleanse you. Well, then the question is, okay, Jason, I get this. I know I need to go to Jesus, but what about obedience? I mean, the Bible says that we need to obey. I know the law. I get what you're saying. Go to Jesus. The law can't save me. But does that mean I just forget about the law and it doesn't matter or we don't have to pay attention to it? Of course not. Of course not. But think about it this way. I'm going to illustrate and this will, then we'll be done. Joe Novenson, he's one of my heroes, and he's a pastor of a church in look, at Lookout Mountain Press near Chattanooga. He tells the story about when his young son was very young. He walks into his room and he kind of gets down on one knee and he's having this moment with his son, and he says, son, do you know that I love you? And his son, you know, kind of rolls his eyes, yes, dad, I know that you love me. Well, will I ever stop loving you? Again, the son rolls the eyes, yes, dad, I know you will never stop loving me. And then Joe responds, is there anything you could ever do that would make me stop loving you? No, Dad, there's nothing I could ever do that would make you stop loving me. And then Joe says, if you robbed a bank and killed someone, would your dad stop loving you? His young son thought for a minute, and he said, well, yeah. I think if I killed someone, you might stop loving me. And Joe, in the way, if you know Joe Novenson, and the only way he can do in that tender moment, he grabs his son by the chin and he looks at him in the eye with tears in his eyes and he says, even if you robbed a bank and killed someone, I will always love you. And I would come to the prison every single day to visit you and I would bring you jelly sandwiches because I know they're your favorite." And some of us hear that, and maybe your thought is, isn't that a terrible way to raise a kid? That kid is going to go crazy one day. Wouldn't it be way healthier if, if Joe would have just looked at his son and said, get better, shape up, or you're done, and I'm going to disown you, and you no longer have a place in this family. Wouldn't that be better? And the gospel says, no. No, the gospel says that that kind of love, that is what actually drives obedience. That's what actually makes you want to love and want to obey. Remember the gospel order, and we can never forget the gospel order. The gospel order is everything. You're accepted and loved. Nothing can ever change that. Therefore, obey. It's not the other way around. Love and grace 
That is what produces true holiness. True holiness. Think about it. Because if you obey out of fear, that's not holiness. That is drudgery. It makes you hate the law. It's still better than sin, but it's not true holiness. True holiness and change and the love for God's law comes from drinking deeply from the gospel. It comes from drinking deeply of God's grace and love for you. And so when you blow it, whatever that moment is for you, and the law has done its work in your life, and you go to Jesus and you find mercy, and you find forgiveness and love, you know what that does? Over time, it's sanctification and it's a process, but over time, you know what that does? That changes your life. That changes your life and melts your heart, and then all of a sudden, your heart is transformed and you want to obey, and it pleases you to obey, because that is the response of an unbelievable gift. And you start to love Jesus more, and you start to love His Word and His law more. Why? Not because you have to or because you should but because you actually want to. Because in your mind and heart, you think, how in the world could I not want to love and serve with everything I have someone who has loved me so well? You see the difference? You see the difference? The difference makes all the difference in your life. Gospel obedience. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would drive this home to our hearts and into our minds this morning. Would you melt our hearts with your goodness, change us so that we uh, don't hate your law, but learn to love it because of your grace and your righteousness and, and, and your goodness to us in the midst of our brokenness and sin. Change us so that we would live differently and so that we would be changed and we would love you and obey you, not because we should or have to, but because we want to. Would you do that? We would be very thankful through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.